Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a free preview of my most recent podcast conversation with Chris Bloomstrand of Semper Augustus Investments. What began as an exploration into the different levels of understanding around expectations for Tesla's future as a business morphed into a discussion about value investing's place in the world and a look back at the madness of the dot-com bubble with a man who made some highly controversial calls about internet darling stocks that came in for heavy criticism at the time only to be proven spectacularly accurate later on. Ring any bells? Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoyed what you heard on this show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, enjoy the show. Well, Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. Thanks for making the time. Well, Grant, I've been a huge fan of all your pods and it's just an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get into, and, I, and I'm going to start with the, the thing that kind of brought us together. But before I do, I've got a very, very important question that I need to ask you, which was inspired by one of your tweets not that long ago. And that, that is whether you would rather have had lunch with Buffett and Graham in 1967 or been front and center at the checkerboard in 1981 when Muddy Waters and the Stones played. <laughs> oh, I'm going to commit you to an answer. I should never have never have gone down the path of being on Twitter, period. And, you know, I'm usually kind of checking it out on weekends and Saturdays. And yeah, I, I you know, my, my daughter is doing the PR between going to college and trying to play college golf. She's doing the PR for the, the National Blues Museum, which is here in St. Louis. She's doing it remotely from California. So, you know, I, I love the blues and my favorite band of all time is the Stones. And, you know, I happen to stumble across on Saturday this great 10 minute clip, which I then turned out finding the entire concert. But, you know, there was a Muddy Waters show in 1981, which was the year of the, um, uh, oh, which, which tour was it? Um, Goat Soup, right? No, Goat, Goat, Soup. Uh, no, Goat, Goat Soup no, that was, was that 70s. Was, it was, uh, yeah, that was, it was one with Start Me Up and uh, uh, Way yeah, Out Friend. Uh, Tattoo You. Tattoo You, God, of course it was. Oh, my Lord. So, so it was 80, 80, 81, 81. It was 81. It was 81. And uh, it was a Muddy Water show, and they kind of impromptu came in and, and sat at the front table, and then Muddy called up Mick, and he called up Keith, and he called up Ronnie Wood. And I later that day found the entire concert, or, you know, 45 minutes of the concert. But, you know, I tweeted that out, and I asked, would you rather have had lunch with Warren Buffett and Ben Graham circa 1967? So Ben would have still been sharp and, you know, Mr. Buffett would have just yeah. taken Berkshire Hathaway a couple of years prior or had been kind of front table. And you know, I really didn't toy with that because, you know, you know, I've been uh, 
a big Berkshire Buffett follower for a long time, and, but I've also yeah. been a Stones fan for a long time. So I, I'm still not resolved on which I would rather do, but that would have been a, that would have been a life highlight to have seen something like that. I think the beauty of it is had you followed Warren Buffett in 1967, by 1981, you'd had enough money to buy a front row seat at the checkerboard. So I think you probably could have done both. Yeah, I actually wrote a little funny thing in my in my letter this year, and that was, you know, I was born in 1968 in, in Kansas City, I really grew up in Denver, but I, in my letter, blamed my parents for not being more attuned to what was going on about two and a half miles north in Omaha, because, you know, I had baby Chris realized what a great job of capital allocation was being done that my life would be a lot different at this point. It was early 2000 before we came around to Bush. A little harsh on your parents. Well, look, um, as I mentioned a short while ago, there, there was something that brought you and I uh, into contact, which I found fascinating. And it, and it, it revolves around um, Tesla, the whole things, which seems to bring a lot of people together in this day and age. And, uh, and I want to kick off with that because I, I know that the thing we're going to discuss is, is a big part of what you do is a big part of your career, but it's also going to take us on to a, a bunch of other subjects um, on similar on similar lines that that go back to a different era. And so, uh, the, the the topic at hand was the um, the Arc report that uh, the analyst Dale Winton put out about um, you know their new price target when they came out with it. I think seven thousand dollars was the new price target, and they put a report out um, on the internet talking about their open source model and. Look, as is normal, these things get picked apart. Um, not, not, none of them more so than the ARC models, which which kind of invite that. And, I, and I'm sure that Kathy and the team embrace that in many ways. But I came across your piece that kind of picked the, apart, particularly the insurance, the Tesla insurance thing, piece by piece. And it was done so brilliantly and so beautifully. Um, and, and and I have to say, Chris, so graciously, it wasn't you weren't being snarky. You you were asking genuine questions. Um, and you just pick this thing apart very, very carefully, very diligently, very methodically. And um, it really struck home to me that, that what I saw there was the difference between the way the world used to be, which was deeply researched, thoughtful analysis of things, and the way the world is today, which is you know, meme stocks and, and big numbers being thrown around with really little behind them. So I'd love to dig into that as a as a kind of framework for this, and and really get you to talk about what you saw, what it made you think, and 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 then what you went to try and understand it better. Well, Grant, I, I love your point about the way it was in terms of the way research had been conducted in prior eras. You know, I go back to the late '90s and early 2000 when you know I was 10 years into my career, and there was a period there in the late '90s where a lot of parallels to today. Research seemingly was suspended. Valuations uh, were just extremely excessive. You know, you had kind of the peaking of the blue chips in 1998, but then you got into the tech bubble. And by late 99, early 2000, your NASDAQ had risen by 5X. And, you know, I got to the end of 99 and, you know, clients wanted to know why you didn't own tech. You couldn't go to a cocktail party and have technology stocks and the internet not be the subject du jour. And this was doctors and lawyers. This was everybody who had been sucked in during the late part of the bull market. And valuations made no sense. And you know, I, I, for, you know, for the same reasons that I struggled then with the valuations of a lot of those tech names, and some of which were great businesses and continue to be great businesses, and some 
went away because they really didn't have great business models. You know, you're seeing a lot of parallels today, and it could be SaaS stock, software stocks. You know, but I think Tesla is the epitome of kind of this, this suspension of valuation, this suspension of reason. You know, in my January 1, 2000 client letter, I talked about Microsoft, and I held it out as an example of really just the mania for everything technology and effectively through a series of what were 12 or 13 predictions for the next 15 years, some of which were some of these internet companies will run out of cash and fail, long-term interest rates, which were then six and a half would trade below three, uh, market cap to GDP, which we could actually talk about now because there's kind of a follow-on yeah. uh, with Elon and Kathy, but market cap to GDP would fall back to more of a normal level, which was simply a way of saying the overall stock market was expensive. But then my first prediction was Microsoft shareholders will lose money for the next 15 years. And then it had nothing to do with Microsoft being a bad business. It was a wonderful business. Right. The company had been public for 15 years the stock had compounded at 64 or 65% a year. And by January 1, 2000, on what's now a split adjusted two for one stock split, 60 bucks a share, you had a $620 billion market cap on 20 billion in revenues. And Microsoft was, you know, arguably the best business in the world at that point. They had a 38% profit margin. So the company was doing seven and a half billion or thereabouts in profits. But at 620 billion, you were trading it 80 plus times earnings. And, you know, you extrapolate forward what had been that mid 60s return and 15 years out, you got into the quadrillions of dollars. I had to look it up because right. you know, last time I had to think about what came after trillions was probably fourth grade. So between here and there, something was going to go wrong, but the valuation had to fix itself. And sure enough, it did. I mean, seven years later with the stock down by two thirds and the business having continued to grow and compound, I was buying the stock at 10 times. So you went from 80 times to 10 times in a business that was doing 20 billion in revenues, that's going to do probably $150 billion was so far ahead of itself that you did lose money as the shareholder for 15 years. And I got, uh, you know, just an enormous amount of pushback. And so you kind of fast forward to this current iteration and, you know, in the fall when Tesla had announced their five for one stock split and the stock just went through the stratosphere. You looked at the valuation and you could take any number of tech companies today and make the same case that I would have made with Microsoft back yeah. then. I sent a tweet out and again, I shouldn't be on Twitter, um, but I sent a, a tweet out into the Twitter sphere, whatever they call it. And it was critical of the share price, simply really not much about the business model, but the share price and the blowback I got from the pro Tesla crowd was something I never thought I'd see in my investing career again. And the example I've got of that was beyond the cocktail crowd. I had done, I shouldn't tell this story, but I had done a newspaper roundtable in Denver uh, in maybe February of 2000. It was either the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News. It was back then it was a two paper town and there were three or four of us on the panel and I had just written my letter and I had spent six or seven pages kind of talking about why Microsoft shareholders were losing money for 15 years. And the editors brought that up and I talked about it a little bit. Well, one of the guys on the panel, and I won't, I won't say his name, but he was one of the, one of the big portfolio managers and investors.
The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.